morning, everyone. We welcome you to our Sunday morning roundtable discussion. So glad you could all join us today. We are from the Plainfield Christian Science Church Independent, Plainfield, New Jersey, the United States of America. And we'll start this morning with our morning prayer. I'm reading from several pages on from Divinity Course and General Collectania, 3276, 283, and 285. All to the omnipotence of God, truth. Evil is not a power. It is the opposite. And by opposite, I mean that which is unlike in quality, quantity, and nature. God gives to each and every one of his children abundantly all they need, and that supply is not, cannot be, hidden at any time by any mortal mind law or claim. For all laws and claims of mortal mind are false laws, and of no mind, which has no real existence, it is destroyed by truth now. There is but one physician, because there is but one mind, whose medicine is truth, which destroys all error, whose attraction is love, which casteth out all fear. There is the one mind, which was also in Christ Jesus, and this mind alone can draw all men unto him divine love. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. The knowing is the thing that counts. Thank you very much. Yes. All right. Our watching point. Watching point number 487. Watch that you realize that healing the sick is always simple and straightforward in science. It becomes difficult only because air claims to put deterrence in the way to prevent the good work from being accomplished. Once Mrs. Eddy wrote, quote, The law of mortal mind that says our work, whatever it may be, will not amount to anything, must be broken. Know first that no such law can interfere with truth. Second, that there is no such law. All laws divine in this law of mortal mind is only the inverted image of the law of God. Reverse it, and you will find the divine law that all thoughts of truth must have an effect. At another time, when the publishing of her book, Unity of Good, was delayed about six months, she wrote, quote, The way is blockaded in proportion to the weight of good that is to be carried over it, you know, end quote. End of the watch. Thank you. Any comments on that? Well, it reminds me also what Mrs. Eddy says, that remember the smallest truth is mightier than the greatest lie the world has ever known. Thank you. Uh, 
I think that's the important thing is if we know it, and as Florence read, knowing is what matters. If you know that an ounce of truth has all the power of the universe behind it, we can't help but heal. We can't help but have dominion over every false law of mortal belief. And it's that knowing that is the key. That's why we start every morning reading the lesson and filling ourselves, filling our thoughts, our consciousness with the truth so that nothing else has an opportunity to get into it. You see, this is staying on the offensive, being proactive. <laughs> you, you, you don't wait till something hits. You're, you're already ready. You're ready. Be so instant in truth, but matter is always too late. It's always too late to live in that truth. And something that we were taught here and, and live with too, which goes with this watching point, is the greater the good, what? The more resistance. The opposition. So if you feel that your efforts are being opposed in some way, and I know we definitely have had times with that, then know that there's great good that will come from this and persevere. The last sentence in our lesson this week in Science and Health is, truth is always the victor. So you can rest assured there will be victory, but stay with it. Don't back off or back down. Stay strong in that truth, no matter what the opposition seems to be. And the watching point brings out, too, what we've talked about this. Yeah, just a general uh, feeling of, of opposition to Christian science and what we do. And this is why we do the watches. This is why we do all the work that we do to break this. And um, I guess it was on Thursday night. Was Joanne? She found a, a wonderful quote from Big Dal Young's article: "Relapse, Rebound, Reversal." Um, that was once in our book, Collected Writings by Big Dal Young, but because it is so very deep, um, Mrs. Evans took it out and replaced it with something else. I think that's overcome. But anyway, you can find that article on our website. It is very deep metaphysics. You just take a little bit at a time and think about it and apply it. Um, very powerful. Because Era tries to make all these human laws that says, oh, your work won't be successful or whatever. Um, and you have to say, ha, ha, ha. And the power <laughs> there is nothing that. You, my friend, and my foe are, are not are the ones that will not be successful, but you have to come on hard and strong with that. Anyone else? Because the healing work is natural. It's a natural, the natural byproduct of living this truth. And in, in truth, there can be no opposition to it because God is all-powerful. There is no other power. And we're going to really get into that today with this lesson on truth, which brings out that 
truth is the rock, isn't it? The rock. And that definition of rock, defense, means of safety, protection, strength, asylum, a firm, immovable foundation. Lawrence, did you want to? Oh, no. Not right now. Just, just think of how wonderful, what a good God we have to give us this rock. Immovable foundation. Something we can always run to. Now, a few weeks or maybe even months ago, we had a Tom had a Bible study about Amos in which he spoke about the plumb line. Remember the plumb line? Yes. Yes. It's the plumb line. What is it? Yes. God's laws. It's God's standard alone. It's a plumb line. Yes. This is the rock. Um, in the lesson this week in Isaiah, it speaks about a foundation stone, a precious corner, the sure foundation, and a plummet. Um, Carrie sent me an article about this plumb line, definition of plummet or plumb line. And one part of it says, when God said he was setting a plumb line among his people, he was declaring an end to their attempts to justify their crooked ways. The Lord was setting the standard. God does not negotiate his laws. He does not change with the whims of culture. God's moral law is the plumb line against which we determine right and wrong. Just as a carpenter's plumb line is not subject to the opinions or the frustrations of the worker, because I guess carpenters use something called a plumb line. <clears throat> so God's moral standards are not subject to the opinions of men. Wise people are those who line up their lives according to God's plumb line rather than trying to move it to satisfy their own agendas. Now, isn't that what we see today? You know, trying to fudge around. You, you can't. There's a standard. Oh, the rock. And it's based on principle. And it's what Christ Jesus said he based his church on. The rock. That's why he was so pleased with Peter when Peter could acknowledge that he saw this, the Christ, the healing power of the Christ was what to base his church on, right? Unmovable, steadfast. And not on a person. Not on a person. It was, a, it says, was a thing. Go ahead, Florence. No, she says that God's laws are eternal. They cannot be reversed. They stand. In your work, you declare the truth about okay. things. No, those declarations cannot be reversed. And she said that I have for 40 years stood with God through all this effort to reverse my work. 
If I ha- if I had allowed the devil to reverse my work, where would it have been? No, I have stood and carried this cause in spite of it, and of all of you, and all of you can do the same. So we're told what we must do. Thank you. Yes. And you know, down to the very end, her last years at Chestnut Hill, where they hit her with the um, next friend's suit, right? Yeah. Her ability to think, to act that she was, you know, crazy. Um, to di- and that would have discredited all her life's work. And it poured rain on her. Uh, even the, you know, even her own son, who got duped into believing it. He was duped. Um, anyway, it stood strong and won an everlasting victory with truth. And so we have it here today, and we must do the same. We must carry on the plumb line, the standard, not lower our standards to meet the whims of culture like New Age. This is, a, this is a moral science with a principle based on God. It's not just positive thinking and hopeful wishing. And as the lesson says, truth is the rock of ages, the headstone of the corner. But on whomsoever it shall fall, it will grind to a powder. <laughs> so don't think you can mess around with this. <laughs> Not a good idea. And you know, this is this, this is the nature of it. What is true, and when we do stand for what is true, once once we know what it is, once we stand for it, it benefits every part of our life. There is resistance to it, and why is there resistance to it? Because it's truth. <laughs> and, and isn't it because there are so many people in the world who are misled by false beliefs, who have, who think that matter is real, who think that people have power in and of themselves outside of God, who think that, you know, medicine heals. I mean, all these false beliefs. People, there are people who have a vested interest in false beliefs. They are so misled that they think that they have to depend on something else. And when you bring the truth to them, well, it contradicts what they believe. And they feel strongly about it, and so they, they hate the messenger. <laughs> they are threatened. By the message, and and we have to pity those people, and we have to love them so much that they will overcome their false beliefs and recognize and accept the truth. But it's not an easy process for them, and we have to and we should pity them for the process that they have to go through to accept the truth, and we shouldn't be impressed by the resistance to the truth, because the resistance is just false 
belief cling, trying to cling to itself. You know, this is why in the lesson in Signs and Health it says Jesus patiently persisted in teaching and demonstrating the truth of being. I think that used to be Mr. Evans, one of his favorites. Because you have to be so patient. Lawrence and I talked about it, how long it took. You know, we've been here for years, those of us at Plainfield. This didn't just, you know, one morning we woke up and zippity-doo-dah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so we patiently keep at it. And um, I just wanted to say a few words for our upcoming Liberator, which should be done soon. The theme is Be Not Afraid. Our Liberator magazine is so precious, um, and, and I hope you all take time to read each one. I, I, I'm, I'm in awe sometimes of, of what comes out of this church. Only God could do this, and only you all, all you people that are demonstrating your beautiful testimonies that go into the magazine or made into articles, those of you who research these articles, um, send them to me that I share with you and Carol puts in the magazine. Carol has this wonderful memory stick. It's just the most wonderful thing in the world. <laughs> 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 it's got all these wonderful things on it. It's wonderful. But it's all your contributions and it's ever fresh and new. It's amazing. Only God do this. No person could do it. That's why we know it's based on the rock, the Christ principle. Anyway, in the new Liberator, full of beautiful articles and also pictures of you. And she sends these gorgeous pictures of England. And then there's someone from Kenya, right, who sent a picture of little yeah. frogs. Beautiful. <laughs> I, I mean, the variety and the wonder of the world all of your voices lifted up praise. Well, anyway, this article is called Inevitable Beneficence. It says, it starts with, the sunbeams must have free course for their best effect. They may be excluded, and in that case, if carried far enough, fold in darkness and the destruction of all animal and vegetable life ensue. But it is hard to exclude the sunbeams wholly. They will fly around corners, creep through tiny crevices, penetrate solid substances, and fill and vitalize the universal atmosphere till they become in a large degree the sources of life and health, even where they are directly excluded. It is thus with all goodness. It can never eat its morsel alone. It can never wholly live unto itself. No obscurity can hide it. No fetters can bind it, no valley can retain, no walls can confine, no mountains can wholly obstruct all its radiance. And then it goes on. This is one of the glories of Christian science. The pre prejudice against it is almost universal, but its power is well nigh irresistible. And opposition constantly receive of its benefits. The utmost Cautions against its powers are seldom entirely effectual. Its blind enemies, the fearful and unbelieving, are often blessed in spite of their efforts against it. As surely as the fire will warm and the sun will brighten, 
true and spiritual Christian scientists, strong in the power divine, carry increased life and vigor wherever they go. They cannot do otherwise. This is that power, irresistible. No matter how people, it cannot be done because it is the one and only power of God. So remember, you all are lights, and I always rejoice when I hear from someone new, and they are getting it, and they so love the website. I just see this light turned on. Oh my, wherever you're from, a light is on. Where that light shines, the darkness cannot come. Impossible. So you shine that light, as big or as little as you feel you have. Keep it shining. Of wonderful, tremendous power because it is the power of God. And along with this, um, Joanne sent some beautiful uh, quotes from Webster, Daniel Webster, about the importance of teaching our children Christianity and that um, you cannot, we cannot continue with what we have unless Christianity is taught and practiced. And by what we have, I'm talking about our freedom, our rights. So, we see my pile of notes. So, (laughs) anyway, we will have it, I'm sure, in various articles and things that you can read. We cannot in any way not be teaching our children Christianity. Oh, here it is. Right in front of me. Okay, this is just one of the quotes. Every civil government is based upon some religion or philosophy of life. Education is a nation in a nation will propagate the religion of that nation. In America, the foundational religion was Christianity, and it was sown in the hearts of Americans through the home and private and public schools for centuries. Our liberty, growth, and prosperity was the result of a biblical philosophy of life. Our continued freedom and success is dependent on our educating the youth of America in the principles of Christianity. And I correct myself, it's not Daniel Webster, it's Noah Webster. And then, in my view, the Christian religion is the most important and one of the first things in which all children under a free government ought to be instructed. No truth is more evident to my mind than that the Christian religion must be the basis of any government intended to secure the rights and privileges of a free people. And anyone that tells you otherwise is, I won't say the words. (laughs) (laughs) This is part of the rock, and this is part of the deception to get people to think, oh, no, you know, Christians and Christianity. Well, some forms of everything aren't that great. It's true. Some Christians, so-called Christians, have Christianity a big disservice. But true Christianity, Christ Jesus Christ, Christ Christianity, the Sermon on the Mount, the Ten Commandments, they stand. They are the rock. They are the rock that we run to. 
think about it. If everybody ran to that rock instead of running to the medical or the educational systems or whatever else, think how far advanced are all our nations. So if your children don't get it in school, you give it to them at home. It used to be in America every morning, people, does any talk about it? They read from the Bible every morning. Well, and at home, and yes, then at school too, but they got it at home, definitely. The founding fathers, people knew the Bible. It's your rock. You can't be deceived when you know the truth. You can only be deceived when you don't know the truth. And when our children aren't taught the truth, they don't have that rock. It wasn't that long ago. You know, 100 years ago and before that, admissions tests to the best colleges included questions about the Bible. It was a requirement to get into a good college. But that all went away in after Mrs. Eddy passed. The Great Red Dragon came up and started to change a lot of things after 1910. It's our job to reinstate primitive Christianity. And by primitive, I mean the original Christianity that Jesus taught and practiced. The pure Christianity that judges no man, that we, we follow the Sermon on the Mount, we follow what he says. That is, that is what heals and that is what's true. And, yes. and, and that is why, because that is what is true. We can prove it. We, all of us have proved it, more or less, to a certain extent. And we owe it to our children, give them the best education possible. So, subject truth, and Lillian, you can read our golden text. All the paths of the Lord are mercy and truth unto such as keep his covenant and his testimonies. Thank you. And Parthens wrote a beautiful blog about that golden text. Uh, another example of the conditional nature of God's promises. The paths of the Lord are mercy and truth, but you have to keep his covenant and his testimonies. This is just what we're talking about. You have to keep abide by these rules. You have to live them. And um, he goes on, each and every challenge calling for watching, prayer, spiritual warfare always involves movement of my, my mentality from problem consciousness to solution consciousness. Dwelling on the problem is error. Dwelling on the solution to the problem is truth. And he goes on. But we're, we're taught here, focus on God. Focus on the truth. Error is screaming to get you to focus on it. You have to, keep, you have to discipline your thought. And as a practitioner, we can help and pray, but we cannot discipline your thought for you. Isn't that interesting? <laughs> That would make you a weakling. Yeah. yeah. You have to do that. That's your job. 
And God made you capable of it, Mrs. Eddy says. And nothing can take that power away from you. And if you've been thinking wrong thoughts for a long period of time, negative, fearful, doubtful, wimpy thoughts, sometimes it takes a while to steer it back. Focus, God, focus, God, focus, God. It'll help your eyesight, too, to keep it focused. But this is the, uh, we're seeing the, the nature of truth. When we live according to the truth, we experience God's mercy. And the truth works to benefit us. But if we don't, well, the truth is going to fall on you anyway. And if you're not living in accordance with the truth, it'll fall on you and crush you until you do. <laughs> That's not very comfortable, as those of us realize. <laughs> <laughs> But that's, you know, that's why, you know, God's forgiveness of sin is the destruction of sin. It's that simple. So if the truth is crushing you, well, that just means you, you, need, <laughs> you need to live the truth. And, you know, sometimes you think you are. I thought I was, as I've said many times, but I wasn't because I was so full of fear and doubt and all of that. I didn't. I didn't think that was sinful, but it is, as we're told to fear not. And, and we must obey all these commandments of God. And then, you know, Jasmine gave this beautiful definition of mercy. Spiritually, the term connotes compassion, love, and forgiveness, yet it extends beyond these. Mercy is greater than anything mortal mind can identify with. Mercy belongs to soul, God, not to mortal mind. So... Oh, and this is all the paths of, of God, the Lord, are mercy and truth. How wonderful. Let's walk on that path. But to do it, we have to keep his covenant and his testimonies. And we've spoken many times about making your covenant to God. The promise. You promise to God your utmost obedience, and he promised to you all good. I just wanted to say about uh, Mercy that years ago, Bar Parthens had sent us that video of the man who was uh, a Muslim, and he, I think he was in prison at the time, and Christ Jesus came to him and, you know, got set him on the new path, but he had said that there was no concept of mercy in, in Islam as he knew it. And so that was such a big thing to him. And I know even when I was going through my downtimes before coming here, there was that thought that, you know, like I'd, I'd like strayed too far, there couldn't be any mercy. So it's so wonderful to know that no matter what, that mercy is always there, ready. Thank you so much for that. I, I was trying to remember that story and where I heard it, and that was it, something Parson sent us, yes that some people have never even heard that term. Yeah, I think, isn't, well, I know there was one, it came to him in a dream, the Christ came to a, a dream. And, yeah. you know, he, yeah, woke up just weeping with joy. He never even knew it. But this, again, this is what I read about that 
beneficence, how it'll find you. It, it, the sun will shine and creep in, even where it seems to be excluded and rejected. It's going to find you. This is what we pray for in our watches, that receptivity, which we'll get into in a few minutes with the healing of the woman. But before that, there was another very beautiful beautiful article, very, very important article, and I do want it in upcoming Liberator that Carrie sent me called The Passing of Evil from a 1914 um, journal article. And it says... Our constant prayer for increased spiritual understanding may be thus phrased. Open to me the gates of righteousness. In his first epistle, the beloved disciple tells us, tells us that Christ Jesus came by water and blood. And this is in our responsive reading this week. Water is a symbol of purity. This is Eddie tells us in Science and Health, page 25, that spiritual essence of blood is sacrificed we can realize that the only way by which we enter into the gates is by purified consciousness and by taking up the cross, being ready to sacrifice all material hindrances to the advancement of the kingdom within. The gospel illustration of Jesus driving out of his father's house all unhallowed forces of commercialism is an important lesson to us, showing that only as we entertain material beliefs do we experience discord and that all and that they all must be driven out. If consciousness is filled with pure, loving thought for all humanity, we shall dwell in God and God in us, as we are assured in the first epistle of John. And thus only will it be found possible to obey the scriptural injunction as found in the epistle of Peter. If any man speak as the oracles of God, if any man minister, let him do it as of the ability which God giveth. Mrs. Eddy says we must act as possessing all power from him in whom we have our these inspired words speak of the grandeur possible to those who dwell in the secret place of the Most High, our only real home. The prophet Isaiah tells us that we shall, shall with joy draw water out of the wells of salvation, and it is pure joy for the sincere student of Christian science, in whose consciousness all belief in sin, sickness, and death is being destroyed. Now... Gary's readings, you know, a week ago, dwelling in the secret place of the Most High. Again, conditional. And this is what it tells you. you are you are you willing to take up the cross and give up a lot of materialism in your life? If you want the deeper healings and the deeper understandings, you must be willing. You can't cling to your outgrown beliefs or things you found once were so wonderful. They'll drop away naturally as you as you do this work. But this is what it takes. This is what it what it requires. I love that hymn, three twenty four. Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to Thee. And then it takes every part of you. Give it to God. Your body is the temple of the living God. If it's a temple of the living God, it can't be in pain. It can't be sick. It can't be 
all of these things, but have you put it on the altar to him and use it for his purposes? You see, we grow in science, but sometimes you come to a point where it requires more of you. You must be willing. We're going up a hill. You can't, I mean, if you want to, you can turn around and go back, see how that works for you. <laughs> Believe me, it won't. I've tried that, too. You've got to keep walking, marching, marching. It's like grandson likes things. So, all right. Now, Linda, the story of the woman with an issue of blood. We've talked about this many times, and I agree with Linda. It's amazing how much there is to this story. <laughs> Uh, for me, I looked up the word virtue because it said that he felt the virtue uh, had gone out of him. And some of the words that I came across were moral goodness, power, obedience to truth, purity, and even the sons of the Holy Ghost. And to me, that was just so beautiful. That's what she felt. That's what she was reaching out and she felt. And one of the commentators had mentioned that there was a lot of people bumping up against him and brushing and they're all and because uh, it was crowded, but not all of them felt this, you know. And, and so I felt like, and I, you know, we have in the a lesson, I think it was, where it said he did um, so many healings, all all types and all kinds, but they didn't write about all of them. They picked hers, and so I thought, you know, that makes it even more precious to look closer at it. And then I realized, you know, Christ's truth is science and health now, and do we reach out that way that she did? And that's, I've been thinking about that for myself now every time I read it. Do I feel that and reach out and expect it? And, it, and it's actually been making the science and health a really different reading experience for me this week. So. Thank you. Thank you. That's so beautiful. That's so true. It was the virtue. It, it was God that healed but she was so receptive to it. It's a, just a beautiful thought. And I, I love what Carrie wrote, too, where go in peace. This is one of the Eliot's commentaries. says, go into peace. Do we have that? And, you know, some people have a very wrong understanding of what healing is and how it is to heal. They think, you know, you're thinking you're trying to change some physical aspect or financial or it has nothing to do with any of that. Because the kingdom of heaven is here on earth right now. It just needs to be seen and revealed. There's a beautiful article by Bicknell Young called The Practice of Christian Science. I don't know if it's on our website or not, but if you want it, Jeremy can send it to you. But... This is just a little, I'm just going to read a little of it because it's going to give you an insight of what it is that heals. It's, it's God. It's the rock. He says, the correct treatment from the standpoint of spirit or soul is to go within. Touch the center of one's own being. Never take the name of the patient there. Never take the so-called disease, the claim, whether it be unemployment, insanity, or sin. Take nothing there but God. And God is there already. Find God. And then, when that little click comes, that little release, you will soon get word from the patient that he or she is healed. That is my word to you after years and years of practice. 
Do not take the name or the identity or the picture or thought of the patient into your treatment. Leave these completely outside. You have nothing to do with them. They are illusion to begin with. And if you take them into the picture, you do not believe they are illusion, but think they are something that you must do something about. It is true, perhaps, that because you have a patient, you are fooled for a moment that there is a presence or power apart from God. And so you go within for illumination, for the light that will dispel the illusion. But let's leave the problem outside. It does not concern you whether it is mental, physical, moral, or financial. It has nothing to do with you. This treatment is your relation to God. And when you have become one with God, you have found it. You will find the release, the presence, and the power of God will dispel the illusion. Now. And that is how the woman was healed because Jesus was in that state of thought. Uh -huh. He was 100% he was with God. Nothing could mesmerize him at all. And this woman, she, you know, she had tried everything and nothing worked. So she, she had nothing to lose. And she had heard of what Jesus was doing, and she had faith. She had tried everything else, and now she had faith in what, whatever it was that Jesus was doing. And that ounce of faith was her receptivity to the Christ, to the Christ which Jesus lived. You know, that story, I think maybe it was last week that we ended on about the holy shadow. I mean, that was everywhere that man went. He, he brought healing. That's how it should be with you. Your, your thought brings healing because you're maintaining that oneness. You're in the secret place of the Most High and um, most wonderful, valuable thing ever, anywhere. It's the Christ. And I know through all this, one thing Florence kept Thing, you know, because these have been trying times with all this stuff going on, taking various forms and faces, still the same Olera, so we won't be impressed. But Florence kept saying, oneness, <laughs> oneness, oneness, maintain your oneness, keep your oneness. I and my Father are one. The Father that dwelleth in me, he doeth the works, and the Father hath not left me alone. Christ Jesus. And that Father is it's the rock yes it's the rock so now and this in treating yourself it's the same thing you don't get into well what's your problem what's wrong with you here again you're focusing on the problem as Arthur said about the golden text focus on the solution on God on your oneness with God doesn't matter what the problem is it's an illusion you've been deceived not the truth doesn't matter how long it's gone on, how it's screaming at you, you declare that truth, and no truth is always the victor. That's what brings the healing, and it never fails if you keep at it. So, and I, I love, too, what Joanne wrote about um, unflinching. 
So, never failing to undertake, perform, or proceed, never shrinking, never withdrawing. And this is the faith that you have to have. And when we pray, you know, during watches, we sometimes, we don't know who it's going to reach. It reaches the receptive heart. And they can be all around the world, those crying out for God, God's blessing. It will come to them. Never, it will never fail. So anyone want to add anything? I'm sorry. It just goes uh, to what you were referring to earlier by focus, focus, focus. It's, it's really simple. Um, but I can say that sometimes I make it very hard. And we all do. We make it complicated, but it, it is a simple truth. That's why even a child can understand it. And there's something that keeps coming to me that I love very much in Science and Health on page 114 where Mrs. Betty says, Christian science explains all cause and effect as mental, not physical. It lifts the veil of mystery from soul and body. And then it shows the scientific relation of man to God, disentangles the interlaced ambiguities of being, and sets free the imprisoned thought. Now, Gary's going to end few minutes on a, a beautiful testimony <clears throat> that Carrie sent to from an old journal. Someone being healed by just reading, by reading the truth. I don't know how many letters and emails I've gotten from people who have found our website and have been finding healing. Just in listening. Because this is what it's doing. This is what it did for me. It disentangles the interlaced ambiguities of being. All this screwed up thinking that I had was also screwed up. I needed to be disentangled from all this. And in doing that, it sets free the imprisoned thought. You feel like you're in prison. You feel bound by it. It's all It's so hard to figure everything out. You're feeling so depressed about things. And then you touch the hem of truth's garment. You approach the rock. And this is what it does in just a little bit of it. Don't you know that to be true in your life? Yes. Yes. I love that. Disentangles the interlaced ambiguities. And what's an ambiguity? Confusion. Yes. Confusion. Yeah. Mortal mind is so confusing. The human picture is so confusing. Oh, it doesn't make any sense. And the more you delve into it, the more confused you get. And then along comes science. And it disentangles all this. And you see, you just begin to see it. And as I've said, you know, have you ever had a, a, a chain or a piece of jewelry or even hair? You know, it's all tangled up. You think you'll never get it free, you're tugging, pulling, and then you just kind of loosely play with it a little bit. <laughs> and then suddenly it starts to disentangle, right? Yes. And, and it's free, and, and it loosens itself. Mm -hmm. 
healing takes place. And it's wondrous. This is what the rock truth does. And again, it's uncompromising. You can't, can't think you can tell it anything or you bring it down to your level. I want this. I want my life better. I want my child healed. I want this. I want that. I want to be able to do this. Well, forget about it. Uh-uh. Not Christian science. What are you doing? What are you doing? How have you given your life up to, the, to God? How have you put yourself on the altar and your children and everything? How much have you done that? Probably not very much. I know I hadn't. I didn't even know I was supposed to. <laughs> ding, ding, ding. <laughs> so now we'll hear this, this person who had her, her ambiguities, interlaced ambiguities, disentangled by truth. This is... Uh from the September 1894 issue of the journal. I became, I became interested in Christian science through being healed. I had no faith in doctors, therefore would not consult any, but felt that something must be done or I would soon follow a brother and sister who had passed on with the same claim. In my extremity, I thought of the great physician and took my case to him and realized that he alone could help me. A relative, finding I would not consult a doctor or take any drug, gave me science and health to read, saying, although a dear friend thought she was greatly helped by a Christian scientist, he himself had no faith in that kind of treatment and had no use for the book. I had heard of the people called Christian scientists and their textbook, Science and Health, but knew nothing about either. But I wanted to know and took the book gladly and was soon deeply interested in it. It was a revelation to me. Although I could only understand it in part, yet I knew it was the truth and the truth was making me free. I felt that I had been bound and in prison, and now, one after another, the bonds were being broken, and I was lifted into the pure air and light of heaven. I was healed before I had read halfway through the precious volume, for I was obliged to read slowly, and some passages over and over again. When I came to the words, in Science and Health, page 304, line 10, the 47th edition, I then and there felt that I must add my testimony, though there were already heaps upon heaps. But since then, I have tried to put the thought of those dark days away from me and only refer to them now with the hope that someone who is bound may be released and brought into the light of divine love, which alone can heal and make us every whit whole. LCM, Brooklyn, New York. I go to rock. Thank you all for joining us today. Thank you. 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 Thank you.